And I would say the more daylight you can get, the better. And in the context of window glass, it's, I think, also important to make people aware of the fact that the best daylight will be turned into crap light when it passes through a window because the window glass filters out uh, important parts of the spectrum. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. The show you're listening to would not be possible if it wasn't for support from our friends over at Thrive Probiotic. You can find them at thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. If you're tired of feeling gassy and bloated, like how gross is that? But we have to admit sometimes that happens. You might also be taking probiotics and supplements that suck and actually don't work and you're just wasting your money. Well, Just Thrive is the solution, my friends. Their probiotic is the first and only 100% all-natural, spore-form, DNA-verified and tested probiotic supplement. As a subject of groundbreaking clinical studies, Just Thrive has demonstrated incomparable effects on the gut and its undeniable connection to the immune system and the brain. What makes these puppies awesome is this. They have 100% survivability, meaning that you take the spore-based probiotics and they actually make it through your GI tract and proliferate and thrive inside you. Hence the name Thrive, get it? They're also vegan, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, salt-free, nut-free, gluten-free, everything free except the stuff that's awesome. They have clinically proven strains for leaky gut and they're also doing nine other ongoing human clinical trials at this very moment. So if you don't want to be bloated and be all gassy and leaky gutty and gross, you want to get on the Thrive Probiotics. Here's how you do it. Go to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Guess what? We got a discount surprise. Shocker. The discount's 15% and the code is Luke15. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. The code is Luke15, and uh, I take this stuff every day, and it's been fantastic for my digestion and my overall gut health. So I am super stoked on these guys, and I'm very excited for you to try it out. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Hey, you, come on out of the shadows. Come on out into the light. This is episode 278, The Deep Science of Blue Light Toxicity and why LED trashes your health with Dr. Alexander Wunsch. This one was recorded on location at the Health Optimization Summit in London, and our guest is widely considered one of the world's foremost experts on light, and it was a dream of mine to someday interview him for the show. And I'd like to give a big thanks to my friend Tim Gray for helping to make this one happen. Dr. Alexander Wunsch is a physician, light biologist, and author based in Germany, he researches, consults, and teaches on the effects of light, color, and radiation upon human and environment, and is Deputy Managing Director of the Max Lucher Foundation in Lucerne, Switzerland. Here's what's coming next on the Lifestylist Podcast. This Friday, we've got a very special episode with Nicholas Pinot. It's called Censor This Podcast, The Non-Tinfoil Guide to COVID-19, 5G, and the EMF Crisis. Then next Tuesday, number 280, 
No Brain Left Behind, Becoming Limitless with Jim Quick. Now, Dr. Wunsch drops so many knowledge bombs in this conversation, it's hard for me to even break down. But here are a few of the paradigm-shattering nuggets from this episode. Photobiology and its critical role in human healing and health. Our circadian rhythm, how to manage it and why it matters. How blue light exposure wrecks our eyes, brains, and sleep. The most surprising and common sources of blue light in our day-to-day environments. The fact that your skin is also susceptible to blue light and why that matters. Why blue blocking glasses are critical at night. How toxic lighting negatively impacts your eyes. Why LED and fluorescent lights suck so bad and why you should avoid them like the plague. Then we discover what the healthiest bulbs are that we can surround ourselves with and how to find them. And the legislation recently passed by Donald Trump, which allows incandescent light bulbs to be made and sold in the United States once again. Programs you can install on your computer to make them less damaging. The benefits of red light therapy, blood irradiation, and why you shouldn't fear the sun. The downside of sunscreen, how light affects mood disorders and dopamine levels, how windows and wearing glasses ruin sunlight and turn it into fake blue light, and finally, the benefits of sun gazing at dusk and dawn. And by the end of this epic breakdown on all things light with Dr. Wunsch, you will understand why our light environment is just as important as our air, food, and water. And with that information, please make sure you share this episode with as many friends as possible and post your feedback to me on Instagram at Luke Story. In fact, you could have watched this interview live had you been following me at the time. That's at Luke Story on Instagram. Okay, with that, let's get lit with Dr. Alexander Wunsch. Welcome to the show, Alexander. Hi, Luke. All the way from Germany. Yeah. So you're from Germany, I'm from LA, and here we are in London, and we're about to make magic. Fantastic. I'm really excited to talk to you, A. B, I'm super pissed because when you gave your talk, I was running around with other responsibilities and interviewing other people, and then I came in at the very end, and it was like the last five minutes just blew my mind. So I'm very thankful to have this opportunity with you, but I'll be going back to watch the videos from the conference because it was life-changing information. Very cool stuff. So let's start off with explaining to people what photobiology is. Um, Photobiology is the science of um, light acting upon biological organisms. Wow, that was profoundly simple. (laughs) I want to start off with talking about our circadian rhythm and the way that light affects that. You know, something I've covered a lot on the show is the issues with blue light and also mitigating that through different types of, um, you know, temperatures of light and wearing the glasses and all of this kind of stuff. But perhaps you could give us some framework for why our circadian biology matters as it pertains to light. Chronobiology or circadian rhythms are all about being prepared So the plant which is prepared to the upcoming sunlight will perform much better compared to a plant waiting there. Let's see if the sun will shine today and if so, maybe I will get up and maybe I will open my blossoms and maybe I will do some photosynthesis. The prepared plant is just planning what to do next. And so even the first uh, bacteria, the um, algae, algae and uh, cyanobacteria, they had to 
attune their metabolical rhythms to this um, permanently um, repeating stimulus which is caused by sunlight. So from the very, very beginning of life, sunlight played the paramount role in controlling all the metabolical events in, in biological systems. And it started 3.5 billion years ago, chronobiology. And we nowadays just uh, are attuned in a very, very subtle manner to our environmental lighting conditions. The problem is that the lighting conditions are not following a logical pattern anymore as long as we do not live in nature. As long as we are exposed to artificial light, the problem is that we are the ones who decide if we switch the lights on or off and when we will switch the lights on or off. And the industry decides which kind of light uh, is available to us. And this is a yeah, kind of very strange combination of, of um, random events. Because sometimes I think the industry is not really aware of the importance of, of the lighting, lighting quality and light quality. So we are offered um, junk light in many, many cases instead of the the delicate light and the natural light we, we, our bodies uh, and organisms um, have been attuned to since billions of years. So it's one of those kind of things where using our intellect, mankind has played God and we've decided, I don't want it to be night, I'm going to make it daytime so I can walk around my hut or whatever you know I guess, we, I guess by the time we had light bulbs we were out of huts but uh we moved indoors we started sort of domesticating ourselves we came up with incandescent indoor lighting and then we can make it be whatever time we want right and then it's one of those things that is like many times when humans try to alter nature we don't notice the effects of it perhaps right away it's the best invention ever we're so excited and then later on like uh, you know traveling into space and the the physical things that go wrong with human beings being that far out of the magnetic field and all the other issues, it's great. Well, we can reach space, but then what happens to the human body? And it's one of those things. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's a blessing and a curse. And it seems now that we've moved into the different types of lighting, which I want to discuss with you, uh, fluorescent lights and, of course, LED lighting, that it's gotten exponentially worse due to the fact that at least the original incandescent bulbs had more of a warm color tone that wasn't as alien to us if we use them after dark. So what would you have to say about then the color spectrum of light and the times that we're unnaturally seeing those color spectrums? As you indicated, uh, during the daytime, we'd be exposed to sunlight, obviously. Can you tell us a bit about the color spectrum that exists in daylight versus the artificial lighting options that are available that we're commonly exposed to at night? Um, when, when we look at the color changes uh, in the skies, then it starts um, during sunrise with a spectrum which pretty much resembles the spectrum of fire or an incandescent lamp. And the higher the, the sun angle becomes, the 
more the color temperature shifts into the bluish part um, of the spectrum. So um, this increase and decrease in the blue content is the main signal our organism grasps from from the color shifts um, in the sky. And there are, in nature, we have just two types of light sources. One is a light source, sunlight, with the color temperature of 6,500 or 5,700 Kelvin, which means it's, an, it's a hot, glowing body, but at a much, much higher temperature than the temperatures we can achieve, for example, in the filament of an incandescent lamp or... Uh, compared to the temperatures we can achieve in fire. So the fire with 2,300 uh, Kelvin or the incandescent lamp with 2,700 Kelvin, they represent um, hot bodies as well. And every hot body emits electromagnetic radiation and the heat, the level of heat defines which kinds of wavelengths are contained in the spectrum. And what is um, what matters most for the um, biological organisms are the short wavelengths. So everything which has shorter wavelengths than green light, so turquoise light, blue light, indigo light, violet light, and also the ultraviolet invisible part of the spectrum, these short wavelengths, they have the highest impact on biological processes because they mm, induce reactive oxygen species, which are aggressive molecules, um, which disturb the cellular metabolism in a massive way. And so it was, from the very beginning, it was important for all life forms to detect if there is ultraviolet radiation outside. And the more ultraviolet ra radiation is in the environment, the higher the metabolic stress will be occurring in the cell. And this metabolic stress, reactive oxygen species, they just act like bastards just, just oxidizing everything they, they can get hold on. So they are damaging all the delicate molecules which have been built up during the course of evolution. And if an organism knows that there is UV light or short wavelength light in the environment, this organism can start preventive mechanisms to counteract the deleterious effects of these reactive oxygen species. And for us as humans... We are not able to directly detect ultraviolet radiation, which is the most aggressive one. But um, we benefit from the fact that in nature, the blue light, so the short wavelength, the visible light, is linked and um, interconnected to the degree of ultraviolet light. So if the light in our environment changes into the blue, <clears throat> our organism can extrapolate from that detection that there must also be a high level of ultraviolet radiation. So when we're exposed to 
any light other than light that's the color of, say, fire, which we would have evolved to obviously be around after dark for a long, long time, what actually happens to us that's negative? What's the downside of this great gift that we have, even with, with an incandescent bulb, like not even moving into the junk light of fluorescent and LED, which we'll cover? But what is it that, that happens to us that's a missignaling when we have a, you know, really bright lights on, even incandescent bulbs at night inside our home or car or wherever we might be? Systematically spoken, we can say there are two issues. One is, issue is the irregularity of art, any artificial light source. The incandescent lamp produces a natural spectrum. So this is a spectrum we are attuned to since um, many hundreds thousands of years. Here the problem is that we can make daylight conditions during the nighttime and this um, interacts with our circadian rhythmicity. So this is part one. The, we can disturb the rhythm just by using the light the wrong time. But um, with the blue light and the ultraviolet light, there is something in addition which happens. Uh, and the ultraviolet light induces sunburn if, as, if it's overdosed. And if it's massively overdosed, this can even lead to a dreadful, deadly situation. And uh, be prepared is again the, the key word here. Our body is able to counteract um, many of the symptoms of uh, sunburn, like erythema, which is the reddening of the skin coming from the increase of blood circulation, from the widening of the capillary vessels. So in order to counteract erythema, it's good to have a good amount of vasoactive substances like adrenaline or noradrenaline in the blood stress hormones. Cortisol, for example, reduces the light-induced inflammation, which comes also from ultraviolet light. So the overdosage signs of a sunburn can be treated with uh, cardiovascularly stabilizing agents like adrenaline and noradrenaline, and the light inflammation can be treated with cortisol. So the body produces itself the remedies uh, it needs to treat the condition of a, of a sunburn. And in order to be prepared, our organism already starts to produce these uh, remedies before it's too late. So as soon as the content of blue um, increases in our environmental lighting, the body starts producing excessive amounts of Uh, stress hormones. And in nature, this is perfect. This is how it should be. But uh, when you're sitting uh, in the office or you are in a manufacturing hall and your employer has decided to set up some um, high color temperature fluorescence or LED lamps in order to increase your productivity... It doesn't make sense anymore except to the employer because you will, under the influence of stress hormones, increased stress hormones, you will be prepared for um, higher activity levels. You will be more productive. But this is just one part of the story. On the other hand, increased stress hormones, they 
contribute to the major problem we have. And the World Health Organization uh, says that the stress-associated um, diseases, that chronic stress is the major epidemic in the 21st century. So we we don't have the problem in our society that we have not enough stress. The problem for most of us is that we anyway have too much stress and if we put the light, artificial lighting effects caused by blue light on top of this, it just makes things worse and worse. That's so interesting. So it's It's a stress response from the human body when it's exposed, sorry, when it's exposed to this temperature of light. And when you look at, say, schools, factories, office buildings, hospitals, they all, and even big box stores, as we call them, you know, your IKEA and Target and those types of stores. I've always wondered if <laughs> there's some nefarious reason that they've started putting that kind of lighting in there or if it was just to save money on energy bills because if you have a bunch of incandescent, you know, you have a huge square footage building being lit by incandescent bulbs, it's not energy efficient, it could be quite expensive. Do you think it's a combination of both or is there, is there anything to indicate that in the factory model, factory worker, that we want them in a heightened stress state to increase productivity, et cetera? So light cells, uh, this is the reason why, why you have it in stores, why you have this uh, increased levels of, of light. But uh, we are here in London and uh, industrialization started in England in the, in the 18th, 18th uh, century, I, I guess. And about 120 years ago, 130 years ago, it was already a topic for the stock markets, uh, how the weather the next day will be because the productivity changed and shifted with, with the weather. If you had enough sunlight during the daytime, the productivity of the companies was much higher um, compared to the days um, with, with low light levels. And so this connection already had been Uh, known since since uh, decades, and if uh, the employer installs bright light in in the company rooms, the idea in fact is to increase productivity. And if in 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 warehouses you have high illumination levels because you cannot run away, so you you buy a lot. So light cells, light increases productivity in the short-term view, but um, we suffer from these conditions in the long-term view, for sure. Has there been a study or any kind of graph available? I'm picturing like a sort of a flow chart or a wave model that shows the advent of incandescent lighting as it pertains to overall human health and disease. Is there anything that indicates that when we became industrialized and started lighting our interior environment with light sources that weren't natural at unnatural times, that that was, you know, a huge curve in 
uh, degenerative disease or anything related to the stress that's caused by doing something so unnatural? Have you ever seen anything like that? Like we started getting, you know, more uh, cancer, diabetes, et cetera, when we moved indoors and started lighting it at night? I I heard um, many years ago that with the with the advent of electricity the number of heart failures uh, myocardial infarcts uh, did raise by a factor of 3 or 4 but I could not find any um, proof in the scientific literature the problem is that we cannot we we have no comparison groups anymore you won't find significant numbers of subjects who are not exposed to electricity or who are not exposed to artificial lighting. And um, since we are now in the, in the year 10 after the banning of the bulb, of the incandescent bulb, so um, in a few years you will not find anyone uh, who still exposes himself or herself to incandescent lighting. So the problem is um, not the problem in terms of being um, scientifically correct is that we don't have um, control groups. We would need hundreds of thousands of subjects. Uh, We don't have them. We just have the summatory effects we can look at. And what we can say that um, our modern lifestyle, which had been enabled um, by the use of artificial light, um, the, the incandescent lamp in 1879, invented by Edison or marketed by Edison, was um, a kind of cut um, regarding our our social life conditions because before these days night shift was not thinkable the incandescent lamp was the door opener to this 24/7 lifestyle we are attached to in the meantime and it became worse and worse and worse so the the breaking of the rhythms is can be accounted to the incandescent lamp but the light doping and manipulation of endocrine functions of humans has to be uh, accounted to or attributed to the cold light sources because the incandescent lamp still has a built-in warning sign as soon as the light becomes too hot you will easily understand that it that there is too much light and uh, this was the natural limit the heat and with oh the, in terms of how bright it can be yeah ah okay and when you remove the heat from the light which uh, was possible with the fluorescent lamps and even more with the leds uh, this natural limitation has gone so you can increase the light even more without sensing it for example via the temperature so, oh, that's so this was the, this was the precondition to to <laughs> yeah. produce uh, lux levels of 2000 and 3000 lux in a in a production hall for example the workers the employees just need 500 or 800 lux for optimal vision if you 
exceed the uh, the optimal um, illumination level mm, it does not improve um, vision but it changes the metabolic and endocrine state in the person who is exposed to it and so the door opener was the incandescent lamp to our modern lifestyle but the maintainers and the exaggerators they are found in the fluorescent lamps and led lamp types and we have many examples of lighting situations where we have to state that there is an overstimulation, overlighting, uh, overillumination going on. So it's the it's not only the color temperature of a really unnatural spectrum of light in the case of you know moving out of the the more warm incandescent and moving into these very bright blue, the color spectrum being completely foreign, but also the, <laughs> the ability to have just such bright light at weird hours too. I mean, obviously, like still the brightest fluorescent or LED light is going to come nowhere near what you would experience outside in daylight in the sun, but it's still far beyond what our brains and eyes are capable of comprehending indoors, especially after dark. Here we are coming back in a way to uh, <laughs> something you mentioned previously. It is uh, photobiology, um, modern photobiology, is also um, dealing with the idea that we can do it better than nature and that we can eliminate things, we, we think of them that they are useless, like temperature, for example, or UV light for indoor illumination. And you cannot compare um, 3000 lux from an LED general lighting appliance with the 10,000 or 100,000 lux level of natural daylight or sunlight. Because in uh, one case, we are talking about just a fraction uh, of the full spectrum and daylight always provides the full spectrum. And this is the major difference. Um, as long as we have the full spectrum from day or sunlight, we can be sure that our organism is able to fully adapt to it. But when you only have a fraction, probably you just did remove things our body is waiting for. So the, the consequence will be a maladaptation. And this is what we, what we can show. And coming back to your question, are there studies uh, and what happened since we changed to the 24-7 lifestyle? Just look at the statistical data, at the epidemiological data. People did not become healthier um, with, the, with modern medicine. We become sicker and sicker. In a way, we live longer, but we are not healthier. So many diseases, which are, for example, stress-related, they are still uh, skyrocketing. Cardiovascular diseases, um, cancer, autoimmune system disorders, they are all stress-related and they, the numbers are increasing. I wonder if the 
these stats that you mentioned earlier around heart disease and the advent of the electrical grid, I wonder how much of that had to do with EMF exposure. You know, you have like in the States, we have 60 hertz just running through your house and it goes, you know, three to six feet out from the wall where the wiring is. I'm sure in the more primitive versions, it was even worse. People were probably right next to the wires all the time under their bed and God knows what else. I wonder if that had something to do with it. And then you add a few years later, you know, the light bulb to the equation and we probably see that steadily going down in terms of general health and the rise of disease. It's even worse because the <laughs> electricity, the light bulb was the um, the diplomat which brought electricity to the houses. Light bulbs, light bulbs and uh, electricity had a parallel um, development because this was the only reason why people would want to have electricity in their house. Oh yeah, we, so, we didn't have computers. It makes things even worse when you try to uh, sort out the the reasons for for the maladies and and disorders we have to cope with uh, nowadays. And this is the problem with statistics anyway. Mm. If you only have epidemiological data, you never can tell that one or the other factor is the reason for a certain development. And I'm not saying that that light is uh, the only culprit. Uh, artificial, bad artificial light and malillumination would, is not the only culprit. But it's uh, in, in for several parameters, it's a kind of catalyzer. Uh, or catalyst, it it um, amplifies certain effects regarding our lifestyle, for example. It enables shift working and things like that. And on the other hand, it has direct influence upon our physiology. The, the problem um, is that the lighting industry always can say... Dr. Wunsch, what you are proposing or what you are claiming cannot be proven by any experimental setting or so. But we have, we as humans, we exist on many different levels. We are composed of atoms and the atoms form molecules and the molecules form biomolecules and these biomolecules are assembled together in cells and the cells form organs and the organs form the organism and the organism forms uh, our mental um, being and our soul and everything. So we have a lot of different levels and I think the deleterious effects of certain uh, qualities of light can be proven on the cellular level, on the atomic level, on the molecular level, on the organic level, but it cannot be proven for the whole body in terms of evidence-based medicine. And we just take out this only argument that we cannot prove it on one plane or level of our whole existence and um, sometimes ignore that it's already has been proven on all the other different levels. Right, right. So you have to kind of break down the negative effects rather than create the sum of the whole, which is saying, you know, well, we can prove unequivocally that this is just downright bad for people, but we can't say it's bad for the different systems uh, that make people. 
So you you talked about the incandescent bulb. And I remember during the, I think it was during the Obama administration, and I I wasn't aware of lighting then. I, I knew that I really felt uncomfortable if I walked in Target or Ikea, a store like that. I didn't know why, though. Now I know why. Uh, and we'll talk about Flickr in a minute too. But uh, I remember there was this, you know, buzz I heard in the in the media about um, the uh, the environment and um, global warming and energy savings and all this kind of stuff, and that the incandescent light bulb was going away. And I had known about full spectrum lighting, so I had at that time incandescent bulbs that you know had a wider spectrum, not just a narrow spectrum of blue. And uh, I used them during the day in the winter and things like that so that it wasn't depressing and sad inside. It was nice and bright and the light felt very comfortable and natural. It's just kind of an intuitive thing. I just like the natural lighting. So I knew that the sun out there was full spectrum. (laughs) Speaking of lighting, I forgot to turn the lights on in here. (laughs) If you can jump over there and turn them on, go for it. Um, At least we have some outdoor light coming in to combat these horrendous lights. Anyway, I started using full spectrum incandescent lights than I heard during the Obama, the Obama. You really want to to switch on the fluorescent light? Well, you, if you like to sit under mercury photons. Well, it's be, it's, beca- <laughs> it's because of the video. That's why <laughs> we're talking about how this light hurts this you, is, and we turn the problem on. that that we um, make hierarchy hierarchical structures. The the video is more important than our well being. <laughs> right. Well, that's yeah, true. Okay. That's true. I have to accept this. Well, you, you know, know you're at, the boss. Look at it like this. Is that the thousands of people and tens of thousands of people that will hear this, they'll perhaps lobby for different alternative options commercially in terms of available lighting and also realize that if they have a kid, they're raising kids in the house and they're exposing them to these shit lights that the kids are then going to grow up and be biologically compromised. And so I look at it like you and I are taking one for the team <laughs> for the greater good. But that said, if it really bothers you, we can totally turn it off. It's okay. Um, but back to the incandescent bulb in the Obama administration. Uh, okay, we're outlawing incandescent bulbs. And then I got really scared because I'm not going to be able to get my great full spectrum bulbs. And I figured out a, a workaround for that. And in the U.S., at least, you can still buy what they call like... Um, party lights or decorative lighting that are still totally incandescent, not LED, not fluorescent, but you have to search around a little bit. So I found some really great amber old style, like antique style, they call them incandescent bulbs on Amazon. Actually, for those of you listening, I linked to them on my website. I think it's under bedroom and sleep. Um, I don't, you know, I don't make any money except an Amazon link, which is two cents or something, but um, they're just really hard to find and you got to really search. So I put the link on there. And knowing that at some point they could become totally obsolete, I stockpiled them kind of like a doomsday prepper, the doomsday of light. So I'm curious, is that a worldwide thing or did the EU also around the same time make incandescent bulbs relatively unavailable or illegal? Or uh, In the EU, it started in 2007 or 2008 and the EU enacted uh, the banning of the bulb in... September 1st, 2009. So we were kind of ahead of of what happened in the United States. Oh, interesting. And 
what did you do at that time knowing what you know about light? Did you find a source for incandescent bulbs and find a, a loophole like I was able to find over here? Um, my, my garage is stuffed with, uh, stuffed with uh, incandescent bulbs <laughs> in, in different shapes and, and uh, types. Yeah, right. I, I have a pretty good uh, stock of incandescent. Oh, cool. Okay. So on that note, um, Dave Asprey mentioned something to me yesterday about, and this is a word that, you know, I rarely say on my podcast. Maybe I should just say the T word for <laughs> the American. You say the T word. I, <laughs> I, I, not, I, I noticed this uh, last week. It was in the, in the German news as well that the T-man uh, just reversed the, the banning of the bulb uh, in the United States, or he at least intends to, to yeah. reverse it. Yeah, and I think, I think our, our country is experiencing what I consider a large cognitive dissonance politically. <laughs> people, you know, when there's a huge change, when people are oppressed and controlled and there's a change in the controller, it's very confusing to people, and I think we're experiencing a lot of that. But I have a very zoomed out sort of point of view, and I, I look at the good and the bad. And I think that's really, really good news because now I don't have to squirrel away. Perhaps if he follows through with it, I don't have to squirrel away a bunch of bulbs because uh, I travel with them. You know, uh, recently I had an interesting experience. I went on a trip to Spain, so I always bring my incandescent bulbs with me. I get to the hotel room. Uh, my girlfriend thinks I'm insane, but I change all the bulbs in the room, and then it gets dark that night. We checked in during the day, it gets dark at night, and I flipped on the light, and we're hanging out, and all of a sudden we hear, kaboom, and there's a huge explosion. <laughs> I didn't realize there's different wattage on the bulbs over here than there are in the and States. In the current, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the current, yeah. So um, word to the wise, if you travel with your own you know, red amber bulbs and you're from a different country, please be mindful. So when I came over here, actually looked it up and the UK is also on 220 or whatever. So my bulbs wouldn't work. So I got a red flashlight and, mm -hmm. you know, I have my red stickers I put on things and it's, it's a much more pleasurable experience. Um, anyway, I digress a bit, but we can be hopeful that perhaps people start to realize, I'm sure Mr. T's reasoning had something to do with the economy and manufacturing or something like that. Um, or he just hates the environment, who knows? But um, do you think that there's any, is it a viable argument for climate change and this kind of stuff that, that it was necessary to get rid of those bulbs in terms of energy consumption, et cetera? Is it going to make an impact at all? Mm, I would give you an example from Germany, the country I, I come from. Uh, we have mm, these... Uh, city tanks uh, driving around. I call it city tanks. You would call it SUV. Um, we are moving tons of, of weights on four wheels using 250, 350 horsepower. Toys that consume a lot of, of uh, fossil energy. I think uh, it's just a matter of interest if you want to be responsible for the planet you can always switch an incandescent lamp off when you don't need it it's a novel idea <laughs> <laughs> and um the, the history showed that uh, each time when um, lighting became cheaper, for example, because it was more energy efficient, 
that it did not end up in a um, saving in the end, but in an increase of the lighting levels. So we do not use the energy efficient light to be really energy efficient in lighting. We just use it to produce more uh, higher illumination levels. So this is how it unfortunately goes. And um, there are so many ways to save energy that we don't have to use junk lighting, uh, which is a threat to our health. Because we, we will not save in the end. In total, we will not have any savings left when we take into account what, what it costs to, to bring someone who suffers from age-related macular degeneration uh, to the next clinic, for example. You will need um, a lot of additional energy to cure all the negative effects or to repair all the negative effects which result from malillumination and bad lighting. That's a very long view way of uh, approaching that. And I would have to agree. I mean, if you look at the medical cost of, you know, millions, if not billions of people becoming ill, partially, in, in fact, to due to using this type of lighting, that the eventual cost of that by far surpasses what we might be spending on energy, right? Yeah. And using other, other ways. I mean, I know in my house, I just have a habit. Maybe I learned it when I was a kid, but I have only incandescent amber bulbs in the entire house. And I'm very conscious because those bulbs are valuable to me. And I just don't like wasting energy. Every time I leave a room, you know, I turn the, I don't leave the light on anywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's one way. But also, like you said, with driving around a big SUV or a city tank, as you called it, I mean, having your air conditioning running for eight hours is probably the equivalent of having like your whole block having incandescent bulbs on for that eight hours or more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the amount of energy. So it's an, it's an interesting and compelling thing to look at. And I'm, I'm, you know, a big proponent of incandescent lighting. And I think if we want to use it, we can definitely find other ways to eliminate some of our energy use in other areas. It's a sure. very logical argument. And as you said, the downside to it is horrific in many cases. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. If you listen to this show, you know that I always say nature is the ultimate biohack, right? So I've been doing a simple and natural therapy in my house every morning and sometimes in the evening for the past three years. And it has worked wonders for me. I've seen a huge boost in my testosterone levels, I have way less inflammation and my skin complexion has never been clearer. What's the secret? Well, every morning I spend about 10 to 15 minutes in front of my Juve red light therapy system. That's J-O-O-V-V. -V. Natural light is crucial for your cellular health and most of us don't get nearly enough light for optimal health. But with my Juve, I get a full day's worth of healthy natural light in just a few minutes right in my own home. Problem solved. I mean, I live in LA, it's sunny, but honestly, some days I don't get out there and do as much as I'd like to. So the natural light from a juve supercharges the mitochondria in your cell so your body can make more energy. There's all kinds of health benefits backed up by thousands of peer-reviewed clinical studies for those of you that like that. For the simple version of it, you can just go to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V dot -V com forward slash Luke. 
Over there, you're going to get a special bonus from the team at Juve, and you can dive into the research as to the efficiency and legitimacy of this therapy. That's juve.com forward slash Luke. Check it out. And now back to the interview. So let's let's get a little more into the negative biological effects of blue light as pertained to cortisol, adrenaline, how those relate to melatonin and eventually to sleep and the role of melatonin in general in our body, whatever you happen to know about that, because I think a lot of people just think, oh, it makes you sleep. From my understanding, it has a much larger role in our general biology and the blue light at night specifically is really disruptive to its production. Yep. The, the first organisms, thin bacteria, so they just don't need any detectors or any signaling for, for the cell, which tells the organelles in the cell if it's bright or dark outside. And with the development of complex organisms, it, it um, happened that the thickness of the tissue of the organism itself um, exceeded a certain um, size so that the inner cells would need uh, to get the information if it's bright daylight outside or if it's pitch dark night outside. And melatonin is the biochemical signal, is a, the hormone of darkness. And uh, it's a very old mm, molecule, mm, an old hormone you can find, for example, also in turtles, in, in creatures uh, with a mm, building plan or, or with a system which had been created 250 million years ago and even older organisms, they use the melatonin as a signaling substance and in rodents which are nocturnal creatures uh, melatonin is as well a signal for darkness but it does not induce sleep oh wow yeah of course interesting so um, it, it's just uh, you have the same substances for stress for for relaxation for repair for the daytime or nighttime tasks. The substances are the same, but they are wired differently in nocturnals and uh, diurnal creatures. And so um, we have to be careful with um, all attributions to these uh, hormones if we learned about their effects from rodents. We might get a different idea compared to um, experiments we would perform with diurnal creatures like turtles. Anyway, the, the body has to switch between um, fight and flight or sympathetic activities, stress-related activities, which are in diurnals uh, occurring during the daytime. Is diurnal the opposite of uh, nocturnal? nocturnal? Okay, got it. Day daytime activity. Got it. And um, we can tell that, that humans are, are planned as diurnal creatures um, by, for example, the fact that we have rather potent um, strategies to um, protect ourselves from sunlight and we see colors 
And that nocturnal creatures like rodents, they are colorblind. Oh, they don't wow. have they don't have to see color because during the nighttime there's n- not an adequate uh, illumination level to provide color vision. That's crazy because so they don't need the signaling that comes from the different spectrums of light, the different color spectrums. They need of light. some signaling, but they don't need this discrimination signaling which which we can get from colors. Because it's not only about the content of blue, colors um, have much more potential to, to give us signals, for example, the what kind of, of uh, composition can be found in a, in a fruit of a certain color. So this is linked if you have more carbohydrates or more proteins or so, can be color coded and so on and so on. Um, for us, the color coding um, via the, the skin, for example, is very important for our social functioning. Coming back to, to the lighting conditions, if it gets dark, the body needs uh, to not fight and flight, but repair and digest. So this is the mainly the parasympathetic um, part of our autonomous system. You can autonomous um, vegetative system has two arms. One is the sympathetic, the stress arm, and one is the parasympathetic, the relaxation and repair arm. And in order to um, to time the correct tasks, um, the body needs signaling, which can be performed via nerve impulses. But also, the body has a second uh, communication channel with this, which is based on a chemical signaling uh, via the hormones. And while we have the stress hormones at a higher concentration in our bloodstream during the day, we have a higher concentration of melatonin, which switches our body cells into the night mode, into the repair and digest mode. And melatonin is produced, for example, mainly in the pineal gland. But there are other sites in the body where direct melatonin production occurs especially uh, within the eyes. The retina produces its own melatonin. So if we stare into a blue-enhanced screen during the nighttime, there is um, the signaling via the pineal gland, which suppresses the melatonin um, in the body. And in the eye, the melatonin will also be suppressed, which has an impact on the regeneration phases of our retinal structures, the rods and cones. And so um, we should take care that we have... Sometimes I I say it kind of contrasted. As long as we see colors after sunset, um, we are in, a, in an environment which is too bright for our body to perform repair and regeneration. Oh, really? Yes. So if you're in a room and you can see there's some books on the shelf and something over here and you can differentiate 
in a meaningful way the different colors that there's too much light. When, when you have clear, wow. clear color discrimination, then it's too bright for, for example, the retina to regenerate the cones. Wow. Which are responsible for color vision. And um, going one step further, when we have <clears throat> induced by artificial lighting, we have a, a cut down of the total time of um, melatonin predominance in our bloodstream of probably depending on the season, uh, three, four, or even five hours. Um, and this, if, if we have less repair and regeneration, which normally would be signaled via the melatonin mainly, then all the degenerative disorders um, can develop uh, in, a, in a stronger way. So Is this, with melatonin, I've heard that it's it's the number one cancer fighting compound in the human body. Have you heard or read anything um, to support it is a, that? It is a signal mole, signaling molecule. It acts depending on the on the dose um, which is present in the body. It acts as a scavenger, taking away or buffering reactive oxygen species molecules. It is an antioxidant which again counteracts uh, some effects of reactive, reactive oxygen species. It is um, an antagonist uh, for cortisol. Mm, cortisol as a stress hormone um, increases, for example, the blood sugar level and decreases the activity of the immune system. And if you want your immune system be actively um, fighting cancer cells in your body, you would not want your immune system being depressed by cortisol. Oh, so, so that's okay. melatonin um, is an antagonist for cortisol. So if you have enough melatonin, cortisol will be suppressed. And in consequence, for example, T lymphocytes can become more active. So, um, yes, in consequence, a good melatonin level during the nighttime is favoring the, the um, immune activities which are counteracting cancerous developments. Right. Um, there are other, for example, with regards to breast cancer, there are uh, other mechanisms involved, such as the um, aromatase. Mm, aromatase is a substance which converts um, cholesterol-like substances into estrogen. And melatonin lowers the activity of the aromatase enzyme. So there is a lower, if, if you have high levels of melatonin, there will be a lower level of estrogen, especially in uh, menopausal women. 
So estrogen is in some cases responsible for the development of breast cancer. And if you lower the estrogen level, then you lower the risk for the breast cancer. And melatonin is responsible for lowering the estrogen level via aromatase. And then there is um, another effect of melatonin, which is also beneficial. Um, it has to do with the mitochondria. Melatonin shifts gears in mitochondria to produce less ATP. And um, if this happens during the night, during nighttime, it leads directly to a decrease in body temperature. And your body just needs less energy for maintaining a certain temperature level during the nighttime, which saves a lot of energy and gives you a good starting condition for the for the next for the following day. Oh, that's cool. So you actually preserve yeah. that ATP for when you really need it in your waking you no, know, you don't preserve it. Yeah, yeah. You you just the cells just pile up the. Um, the building blocks for ATP Got it. because the mitochondrial activities are just uh, limited and lowered during nighttime, which can be directly measured by the uh, shift um, in the body temperature. Wow, that's really cool. I had no idea. I'm learning so much. This is super fascinating. I was like, I knew I wasn't going to get basic answers from you, but I'm like, whoa, this is way deeper than I even realized. So, okay, so we could... Could summarize that by saying, okay, blue light is really bad for you at night. So some of the different sources of this unnatural, too bright spectrum of light would, as you said, be computer screens, right? Phone screens, LED lights, fluorescent lights, headlights, lights in the store, basically any artificial light at night that doesn't look yellow, orange, or red, okay? So... How long after we've been exposed to said blue light, say I turn on my computer screen while I'm laying in bed and I've got a fully lit, fully blue LED light shining in my face off my computer monitor, how long after that does it produce the stress hormones and stop melatonin production? Do we, do well, we know it, that? It, uh, I have no um, generally applicable data on, on this because this is um, subject to individual uh, reactions. But I would say at least take care one or two hours before you go to bed that you eliminate all the stimulating blue-enriched light sources around you. Okay. And it is it is good after, after sunset to definitely lower the brightness of the light sources and also to extinguish light sources which come uh, from above because in nature light artificial light came from the ground or from eye level between eye level and the ground but never from up from from the skies bright light sources so Except the moon, oh, but true. the moon is not really a bright light source uh, during during nighttime. But all the other light sources come from beyond uh, eye level. Do you get blue light exposure on a full moon? 
I mean, should you not look at a full moon? It, will it shut down your melatonin and have uh, those negative the, effects? <laughs> the question is if if the moon is not another uh, zeitgeber, like the sun is the zeitgeber for the circadian rhythm, um, the moon might be a zeitgeber for a ultra Diane rhythm, which are all the rhythms longer than a day. And there are uh, rhythmic occurrences in the human body, especially in women, which resemble the moon phase rhythm pretty much uh, precisely exact. Oh, right, right. And so, so uh, the natural condition is that we have this kind of um, brightness tides and Uh, also during the night. So when we are not hidden in our caves, when we were not hidden in our caves, we were exposed to changing light levels during the nighttime. But it, we are talking about less than one lux and less. Interesting. So less than one lux would be a full moon then. So it's not even that bright. Uh, interesting. No. Okay. And then so like if I have a, huge LED light in my garage and I'm working there or something like that, what would the lux be on that as compared to the moon? What you have in, in your garage could be could have a lux level of 50 or 100 or even, <laughs> oh, even more. And uh, oh, in, in former times, it was just, it, it just made sense that we had times in the month where it was brighter at night. And so hunting finding sleeping animals and hunting them could be quite advantageous. So you had half of the month where you could hunt at night or let's say at least one week and three weeks with much, much lower um, illumination levels, which provided time for full regeneration then. So in addition to you know, building this awareness about how we want to avoid blue light at night light from above, uh, light that's too bright. Say we're wearing some really dark red, you know, blue blocking glasses. And the minute the sun goes down, we've got our glasses on, we've not been exposed to any light. And then we take them off and someone in the bathroom turns some bright blue lights on. How long do we have to be exposed to have that stress response and that melatonin shutdown? Is it like a, two seconds? If I see the blue light, I'm screwed? Or is it going to take me five, 10, 30 minutes of being in that light to kind of disrupt the biology again. It will throw you back for um, several minutes or probably half an hour or so. But we are talking about um, dynamic events. And um, we know that even a few seconds can be enough to suppress the melatonin production. But After exposure, after a few minutes or so, the melatonin production will start again, but it will have an impact. And if it happens once, no problem. If it ha happens on a regular basis, yeah. Right. Okay, cool. I always wondered that. And then when we're talking about junk lighting, and this is something that's really important to me, and I, I just love spreading awareness about this, you know, as we earlier turned on these lights in here, which are so heinous, but, you know, as I said, I want to see the video as other people do too. I find when I get in a room with fluorescent lights or LED lights that 
my brain starts getting scrambled, especially if it's really bright. And I've been mentioned a couple of times, like walking into a big box store and it's just, I just, I get disoriented. Same thing happens in airports and hospitals and places where there's just a complete absence of natural light of any kind. So tell us a little bit about why LED lights are so bad for us, eyes and brain, and also fluorescent bulbs and kind of what the difference between the two is. We, we can um, produce very high color temperatures using these cold light sources, um, up to 16,000 uh, Kelvin, which resembles the, just the blue sky. Not the sunlight, but the blue sky. But it's on a much higher intensity level what we experience outside. So we have up to 100,000 lux in sunlight, and we probably only have 2,000 or 3,000 lux in these um, over-illuminated um, areas. And our body immediately feels discomfort if there is something incoherent going on. So in the cave, we expect low illumination levels, and the lower the illumination levels are, the lower the color temperature should be. And uh, it's not just um, an arbitrary thing that we have blue lights uh, in, in traffic for alarming purposes. Oh, wow. It just uh, is scary. If you have normally, you would have not punctual light sources in intense blue. And you would not have bluish white bright bluish white light in a cave which does not exceed exceed 3000 lux we expect it outside but we don't expect it inside and so the illumination level and the content of blue does not match our expectation and this makes us uh, think or feel that something is not not okay with it yeah Okay, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. And then what about the issue with flicker? Sometimes I'll test lighting and I'll put my phone on slow motion mm -hmm. and I'll film the light source. And pretty much anywhere you go that's not, you know, in our modern world that's not lit with incandescent lighting, which is barely anywhere, when you look at that light on slow motion, it goes boom, 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 on and off, and it pulses. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking into this aspect of flicker, and I found a video online showing a close-up of a human pupil in the eyeball opening and closing, opening and closing over and over again when exposed to the light flicker. Mm -hmm. So what negative impacts, in addition to the color spectrum and the brightness, does the actual flicker effect of those two types of bulb, bulbs have on us? So we have two types of flicker. One is um, clearly visible. For example, the uh, illumination level change in, in fire when we look at it. So this is not really the problem. In fire, we, lo we love it because, because it's uh, a random change in, in illumination levels. Um, and, the, and the light in a fire never completely turns off. Yes. Right? It's kind of yeah. just sparkles. Whereas the flicker in a light bulb is turning on, off, on, off, on, off, right? Yeah, there are different types of light modulation. Uh, on, off, on, off is one extreme and a constant uh, level is the other extreme and you can have everything uh, in between. Okay. Um, I'm talking about modulation depth. 
which means if you have just uh, higher, lower, higher, lower, higher, lower, this is what the AC-driven incandescent lamp would perform. And if you have on-off, on-off, incandescent has 3 to 5% modulation depth. And on-off, on-off, um, like a stroboscopic light, is a 100% modulation depth. And as long as you are aware of the frequency of the flicker, you can avoid it, or if you experience a headache, for example, or migraine attacks, you can associate them with with the stimulus. But a problematic setting is when the flicker has occurs on frequencies which are invisible, directly invisible to the human eye. So we are talking about frequencies of 50. 100, 200 hertz, and mm, you would not be able to discriminate the 120 hertz flicker of an incandescent lamp, but you easily can discriminate a 250 hertz flicker in an, in an LED, as long as it's a 100% modulation depth flicker. We know from experience that the cathode ray tubes from old TV sets, they also did flicker massively. Oh, right, um, right. Or computer screens, the, the tube screens as well. But we became uh, adapted to it. So our, our body, our brain is able to do something comparable to what the camera uh, of your phone is able to do. And this is to shift the shutter frequency. So our brain is able to eliminate the flicker from becoming uh, conscious. So the brain can, by software reasons, suppress the um, flicker so that you don't realize that it's, that it's there. But the brain has to uh, to work a lot and to spend a lot of energy for this procedure. And by the way, the camera, even if you are so in, I just, in, I just in slow mo, a, I just took a video here while he's talking. Yeah, yeah, and you can see the light just flashing, but you don't see it as you said with the naked eyes. So yeah. I'm I'm using brain power so that it's not terribly confusing to me to sit in this room. My brain's like adjusting so that to the naked eye, I can't see the flicker. So you, you need more brain power uh, in this room compared to a um, situation outside where there is no flicker. Sure. And um, I just have to warn you that the better the cameras are in the smartphones, the higher the probability that they work on algorithms which eliminate the flicker in the same way oh, your brain does. Oh, wow. So they're not at all an accurate measure no, of not the at flicker all. rate. Not at yeah. all. What are those devices called that uh, you can use to accurately measure yeah, the flicker? Flicker meters. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, Matt Maruka, who I think you met today, he, he came to my house and uh, had one of those and, and a spectom- spectrometer, I think, yeah. to measure the color temperatures. And we were we spent like hours geeking out on the flicker and the color temperature in the house. And like, ah, oh God, it wasn't that bad because I have the incandescent bulbs. But um, so essentially, the more, the more flicker there is, the more work our brain has to do. And this causes damage in what way? I know that it I, is, get, I get just, headaches. It, it, again, you know. it again increases stress. Ah, okay. Um, and it depends. Uh, it, flicker is a stressor. 
and our body reacts uh, with the stress reaction. Some people have experienced um, increased um, numbers of migraine attacks, eye strain, concentration loss, um, headache. Uh, for example, the uh, habitual change in the way you are moving your eyes because uh, when you're moving your eyes swift and fast um, without moving the head you will see punctual flicker much more intensely um, compared to moving your eyes slowly via the head movement and so if people unconsciously um, change their vision habits they might uh, give an overload to their neck muscles just by moving the eyes via the head instead of moving the eyes as they should be used and moved. So Interesting. flicker changes a whole lot of things and, uh, for example, decreases productivity by around 20%. 20% yes. productivity? Yes. Oh my God. So if I'm doing something that's sort of detail oriented, some detail work that requires a lot of concentration and I'm under some fluorescent or LED bulbs that are flickering like crazy, I'm losing 20% at least 20% yeah. of my capacity. Yeah. Wow. And you lose uh, vision comfort and you lose your natural postural behavior. What about actual damage to the eyes from both non-native blue light and the flicker effect? Is there a relation to macular degeneration or just, you know, does the eye strain eventually lead to myopia or any of this kind of stuff? Myopia is another uh, interesting topic. We Maybe we can touch it um, just for two or three minutes. Um, the blue light increases the risk for age-related macular degeneration. Certain frequencies, frequencies of flickering light can um, have um, an impact on the vessels in your retina. So even can have a metabolical impact. But I'm not aware of long-term uh, consequences of flickering light besides the reduction of productivity, besides all the stress-associated um, changes in the organism. But blue light, blue flickering, bluish flickering light is even much worse <laughs> than, than uh, only flickering or only blue enhanced light. Right, so right. you can't do it. <laughs> Technology can, can make it even worse. Um, and the myopia, there was, there was the idea that the amount of blue might have uh, an impact on the development of myopia, especially in children. But uh, since um, almost two years, there is a study um, available from the University of Tübingen where the researchers found out that the contrast distribution <clears throat> plays a significant role for the development of myopia. And if children have to read um, black letters from a white paper, this um, significantly increases the risk of developing myopia. And if you just change the contrast uh, relation with white letters on black ground, black background, what you would call dark mode in 
computers, computer displays, this has no impact on the risk uh, of developing myopia. So that's crazy. Having, having a good wow. e-reader in inverse mode or dark mode decreases not only the amount of light which uh, meets the eye, because you have just five percent to display of the light which is which is available. Uh, Oh, which would be used for displaying a, a white piece of paper or resembling a white piece of paper. So you need less light when you only have the letters. Oh, that's interesting. In white. Okay. That... And the contrast ratio between the letters and the background is positive so that there, the, the risk of developing myopia is uh, significantly decreased. That is very cool because I have a bit of that. You know, I need glasses now to see far away, which is really annoying because I can't stay wearing glasses. So, uh, <laughs> when you are setting an Amazon link, you can also in, uh, integrate the link for the Amazon Oasis reader because this is the latest one. Uh, you can change change the color temperature, uh, uh, so you can have kind of amber colored backlight. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast would literally not be possible without the support of our sponsor, Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks offers a complete range of evidence-backed blue light blocking glasses to suit your every need. And they also look really cool. Their signature sleep lenses block 100% of the blue and green light from the 400 to 550 nanometer range, giving you optimal melatonin release and the best sleep ever. They also have daytime blue light glasses for when you're working on a computer or recording a podcast like this. Often I use the yellow lenses because I don't want it to get too dark and I don't want to get too tired. I don't want to produce too much melatonin because I need to work here in the studio on the computer. So I kind of have like different blue blocks for all different times of the day. But after say eight, nine o'clock at night, then I'm rocking the darker kind of amber color lenses in the 550 range because I want to get tired and start winding down and going to sleep. They offer a full range of non-prescription, prescription, and readers with free worldwide shipping. They also have a really cool service where you can send in your own frames, which is dope. So you might have some great sunglasses, which I don't recommend wearing personally. It's a whole other topic. Uh, I don't wear sunglasses myself, but I have turned some of my other sunglasses into blue blockers, which is really cool. So I would highly recommend if you care about your sleep, and you want some good-looking blue-blocking eyewear to protect yourself from computers and lights at night and all that kind of stuff, get yourself over to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. And when you get there, at checkout, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off. And now, back to the interview. Well, you know, I've been using a program called Iris... I don't know if you're familiar with Iris. Yes. Where you can, you know, you turn your screen red or you can use the dark mode. And the inventor, I forget where he's from, Romania or Russia or something like that, it's meant to interview him at some point, this guy Daniel, uh, said that he's also figured out a way to, I don't know if totally eliminate, but definitely reduce the amount of flicker. Are you familiar with this program? And do you approve of it in your opinion? The, the flicker cannot, if the backlighting is flickering, 
by itself. You cannot uh, influence it by software. So that would be a hardware thing in it's order to do that. Got it, it can Got be it. a hardware and it can be a software thing. But um, the hardware, if the hardware flickers, you can do whatever you want with the software. It will not work. Right. And the the Oasis ebook reader um, has uh, it does not it does not really flicker and especially it does not flicker in frequencies where I would say uh, you should be concerned of and you so can the, change the color temperature and you can invert you can use the dark mode so this, is the Oasis reader an actual device it's not like yeah. an app oh no, okay I got it it's, oh. it's, uh, it's a Kindle. Oh, cool! Uh, ebook That's reader, smart! Wow! And this is really, they did really a good job. That's very that. cool. That's very cool because I never read, you know, digital books because of that reason. It just I don't want. I we want were, the less we were, time staring at my computer. You we know? were talking about children uh, reading, right? Uh, and what could you do good to your to your children? And wow, um, it is for the eye. It's better to have a good. Reader in dark mode, a good ebook reader in dark mode, compared to a normal book, because wow. the the pages of a book uh, of a physical book still will um, cause the same problems with the contrast. And it's the interesting myopia. that you say that because when I read now, and I, you know, maybe it's just getting older, just because I'm just generally more sensitive to my environment. But when I read a white paper book with black ink and the font's very small, it's very strenuous for my eyes. And yeah. it's not just because the font's small, it's just, it's confusing looking to my eye. It's hard to make out the letters and the shapes and it's just, it's tiring. Are you familiar with the work of the Erlen Institute? Uh, yeah. And, and these color filters yeah. and things like that? I went there a number of I'm years not, ago. Uh, I'm not a specialist, but I'm, I'm You're aware subtly of You're aware of it. Yeah, well... Yeah. You go there and you do some sort of test. I did it a few years ago and they determined, they use these color gels on screens mm -hmm. and things you read and they determine like kind of what your personal color preference is in terms of not only reading, but just you, the glasses that you would wear all the time that are tinted violet or yellow or orange mm -hmm. or even in some cases blue. And um, so I went and did the testing. There's kind of two different um, modules that you go through of the testing to determine what your color is. And then you can order these prescription glasses uh, to use for reading and things like that. And I swear, we finally figured out my color was kind of a light blue and they gave me these gels. And if I put that over the page of a book with a white page, it's so much more relaxing to mm -hmm. read. And mm -hmm. I never got around to finishing the project, but I thought that was so interesting. I didn't really understand it, but it was definitely quantifiable. Mm -hmm. the difference. Yeah. I just would have to take a gel every time I changed the page. And so I kind of abandoned the idea and went back to just reading less because it's annoying. So that's very interesting. Uh, in terms of the exposure to flicker and blue light, um, let's say I'm in a room like this. Well, it's a great example. The room we're in, we have these super shitty fluorescent bulbs, CFL bulbs. There's four of them above us. There's fluorescent, pan you know, those tube ones. But then we have a window here that's got some diffuse light coming through the glass and some natural light where the window is totally open. So how much benefit do we get from sort of diluting the crap junk lighting in here with some unfiltered and some filtered natural light coming into the room? Does it matter? Is it helping? Or is it still totally suck in here? Uh, I, I don't like these mm, this um, quantitative approach because uh, it gives people... Um, 
a chance to escape. <laughs> you know so what I'm quest, looking for. Questions like what is the critical uh, threshold limit for flicker or what is the problematic frequency uh, we should not uh, exceed or whatever for flicker or yeah. Right. Um, I think it is very important that we have a direct connection to the outside that we that that we are aware of the things which are going on in real life so we know that even a small bullseye um, in in the facade which gives you access to to the outside uh, is beneficial and i would say the more daylight you can get the better And uh, in the context of window glass, it's, I think, also important to make people aware of the fact that the best daylight will be turned into crap light when it passes through a window. Because the window glass filters out uh, important parts of the spectrum, like the near-infrared, uh, which is, ma which is uh, plainly provided by, by incandescent lamps, for example, And uh, it makes about more than 40% of the total solar energy or light energy outside. More than 40% is uh, found in the near-infrared part of the spectrum. And um, the windows normally take, take out all the near-infrared. They eliminate the ultraviolet B, but they let pass the ultraviolet A through. So the, they have rather high transmission in the UVA, which is responsible for skin aging and uh, even skin cancer. So if you are sitting behind the window and the sun is shining in, it will increase your risk of experiencing skin cancer because you have no limitation for exposure because ultraviolet B does not cause um, a sunburn. So it could happen that you sit three or four hours in the sun behind the window. Uh, and so you get almost three hours of UVA exposure without noticing that there is something adverse going on. And in addition, the repair information coming from near-infrared is also missing. So it makes UVA even worse. Oh, man. So careful, be careful with windows um, because they turn good light into crap light. That's crazy. So I'm, I'm picturing uh, riding in a car and I was somewhat aware of this. I didn't know the depth of it as you just described, but... Picture so many people riding around in their cars all day, probably thinking like, wow, I'm getting a lot of great natural light. Or when you go look at a, a, a flat, right? You go in a, to buy a house or something. Oh, this house has tons of natural light. No, it doesn't. Not unless the window's open. It's not natural light. Even You could have a million skylights if it's coming through plastic or glass. We're now getting like alien, non-native blue light, essentially. So does it do any good? Kind of like my, you know, I want to find a cheat for this. Uh, when I'm at home in LA, thankfully it's always sunny and I'm like an Egyptian sun worshiper. I love sunshine. Um, it's probably why I stay there despite it being kind of a crappy city in many ways. <laughs> no offense, LA. But when I drive around in my car, I always keep the, the sunroof cracked a bit or keep the windows cracked a bit because I sense that I just feel better when I'm at least getting some peaks of that 
natural light. Is that worth doing? Is that helping me at all to get, you know, some pops of sun coming through an open window, even though the windows are largely rolled up due to noise and pollution and whatnot? I prefer uh, the controlled exposure to sunlight, which means not... not um arbitrarily or randomly not when I'm, when I'm sitting in the car in the car I, when it's sunny outside I even close the uh, the shade the shading from my uh, panorama roof right uh, because I don't want to um, yeah it it's not always uh, so comfortable um, just in terms of temperature and so and I I am a sun worshipper as well, but I prefer to um, expose myself in a controlled way and not occasionally. Right. But so, whatever feels good for you, go ahead. So is, what I'm saying is, is even in a, in a house or even right here, okay, so we have a lot of sun coming through this window, which is turning into junk light as it gets filtered through the unnatural glass that we would have never evolved to see sun through. Are we getting, is it not as bad because I've got the window cracked and some real light is also getting mixed with the fake light? Yeah, yeah the more natural light we have, I think the better. And okay. I'm not against, uh, against daylight uh, and also filtered daylight has certain advantages compared to the artificial junk light. Right. But uh, I just want to express that there is a, Definitely a difference uh, between natural. When when I'm talking about natural daylight, I'm talking about unfiltered natural outdoors. daylight. Outdoors, yeah, outdoors, <laughs> yeah, okay. yes, for sure. And not sitting behind the window, right? Okay, and I'm all for that. I do everything I possibly can outside, which is great when you live in a warm place. It's much easier to do so, you know. And I think that's a great testament to you know why so many people travel and move to areas where there's more sun exposure unlike the city that we're in now so what about what about being in a car like mine uh, i've got a german car you guys make great cars by the way uh thanks i have all of my windows tinted illegally dark i mean they're even the front windshield which is in the, in the states is illegal to tint that don't tell mm -hmm. anyone listeners I've got that tinted. It's barely visible, but it is tinted. It cools the car off, and it's just less harsh. It's much more calming to drive around in a car that's very dark inside. And then I have limo tint on all four windows, which I every once in a while get pulled over for. If the lighting inside a car, or in your house for that matter, your office building, is going to be junk anyway, wouldn't it serve us to at least dim that light and just tint the hell out of everything if we're already ruining the light anyway on the way in? <laughs> So, um, personally, I dim the, the light uh, inside my car. Okay. Because during nighttime, I have access to all visible information, even in the lowest setting position. And uh, during, during daytime, um, it depends on, on the situation. Maybe you have seen photos from truck drivers who have one half of the face uh, quite young and without any wrinkles and the other side of the face fully wrinkled because <laughs> right. they got the sunlight through the window glass uh, for many years. So these are examples, visible examples of what, what glass in the car situation can do. 
and uh, I was uh, mentoring a master thesis two years ago at the University of Wismar, where the student um, did exactly um, evaluate the conditions, uh, the radiation conditions in cars, and we compared uh, cabriolets um, with with limousines, and so. And it's it's kind uh, a science uh, on its own. Oh, interesting! What, what, what the radiation situation is in a. So it's safe to say if we have really dark tint that we're getting substantially less radiation and you know negative effects like sunspots and these kind of things. I would say measure take the uh, take a spectrometer and and have it tested measure it then right. you then you know because no one would uh, who is not involved in in the matter would expect that the car industry take uses different types of glass for the window shield or the side glass. So the side glass um, is highly transmissive for UVA radiation, which does not apply for the windshield and so on. So oh, interesting. you cannot give, give general <laughs> recipes. Right, uh, you right, have okay. to measure because the, they yeah. are so inventive. They, uh, they, they distribute the shit wherever they can. Right, and right. you well, see, this would the, not realize it. This is the advantage of interviewing someone who's not only a, a scientist as you are, but a German one that pays attention to detail and goes by data and not hyperbole. And well, I think it probably works, you know. I go off half that and half intuition. So my intuition in the car is like, make it as dark as possible and then keep something cracked so I can get some sunlight and it seems to be working. But I like the idea of actually going in and testing because I, I do like to see the empirical evidence for things too. It, mm-hmm. it helps me with discipline and compliance in different practices. You know, So the more I learn and test something about lighting, the more willing I am to go the extra mile and put my little goofy orange glasses on and change the lighting because I know that it's real. It's not just in my head. Um, Speaking of something else that's real, when I turn these crazy light bulbs on in here, you mentioned something about mercury photons. So I'm sensing there's something even more evil about fluorescent bulbs than your average LED or something. What were you alluding to in that moment? Um, the light from fluorescent lamps um, is emitted by mercury photons, uh, by mercury atoms, excuse me. So they have very specific information which directly refers to the source. <laughs> Years ago, I coined a kind of mercury resonance uh, hypothesis which means that uh, essentially that we all have mercury in our bodies from vaccines whatever from exposure to to um, city air and so on and um, the light coming from fluorescence um, has peaks where the energy is very sharp and very intense and these peaks they for example, in the indigo, 436 nanometers. This is a mercury photon wavelength. So fluorescent lamps emit mercury photons, which have exactly the energy to activate mercury atoms in your body. <laughs> oh and my God. For it, it, it is just simple 
chemical physics that if you have, um, for example, a sodium uh, atom and a chlorine atom, the sodium atom has just one um, electron in the outer shell. And the chlorine atom has seven of them and wants to have eight and the sodium wants to get rid of this one electron. And if you want to remove the electron of the sodium, you have to increase the distance to the nucleus. The increase physical it, proximity? The physical proximity. Wow. And the, the outer, the orbit, the easier it will be for another atom to get hold on this electron. And how do you kick out electrons out of an atom? You, you need exactly the wavelength the photon would emit when it jumps back from an outer orbit, which is in, in the case of sodium, let's say, yellow light. So if you shine yellow light onto the sodium electron, it, has, it will absorb this and will jump out. And this is the moment where the chlorine grasps the electron and they form sodium chloride. One without and the other with an additional electron. So starting a chemical reaction in many, many cases involves the absorption and emission of photons. And once you have mercury in your system, it will be less problematic as long as it's not activated. But when you start to put an influence or impact on the electron distribution of this mercury atom in terms of mercury absorbs uh, mercury wavelength, the electron jumps out, mercury will become more reactive chemically wise. Oh so maybe um, the use of mercury light aggravates the negative effect effects of this toxic uh, heavy metal. Wow. And we definitely can say that mercury is photochemically active. For example, when the sun shines onto a lake, you can, after a certain while, measure increased concentrations of mercury atoms in the air over the water because it's kind of driven out of the water by the light. So... It's just an hypothesis and it's just my kind of thinking. I'm not claiming that this must be correct, but from my gut feeling, there is something um, to think about. That's very it. interesting, especially thinking about the proximity. You know, I notice now in a lot of hotel rooms, they'll use the CFL bulbs, those curly, heinous lighting bulbs on the nightstands on either side of the bed you know mm -hmm. so your your head's about two three feet away from those bulbs and if we've had mercury you know uh in our amalgam fillings and are mm -hmm. being poisoned through our bloodstream and you have that mercury caught in our tissue and whatnot if your hypothesis is valid which it sounds pretty plainly that it is uh that could be problematic and something you want to avoid so that brings me to one of my top questions I couldn't wait to ask you because I have my own thoughts on this and I think you're going to overturn them. In the hierarchy of indoor lighting, you know, given that, of course, natural outdoor lighting is number one, that's our favorite. Uh, in terms of artificial lighting, what is the hierarchy from 
worst to best? Like if you had to put bulbs in your room, what are the worst ones to the second worst to the third, on and on, et cetera? So the worst are cold um, lighting appliances or lamps producing cold light, cold light like fluorescents and um, LEDs, especially when they provide a high color temperature. Would you say fluorescence based on the mercury connection would be worse than LED? If you had to pick two bulbs that were both very cool in color temperature, would you pick an LED before a fluorescent? It depends. Uh, I would. There's other variables. It, it depends on the variables like the electronic ballast, for example, the specific um, emission spectrum, because there are there are LEDs which are even reduced in their content of blue. The problem with even with the warm warm appearing uh, LEDs with so-called warm light, which is still cold light, but um, the warm LED colors, light colors, in many cases, um, carry still pretty much high amounts of blue, which is masked by even higher amounts of orange, for example. Oh, so no we won't see it with our naked eye, but we only can discover it when we use a spectrometer. So when you see warm light from an incandescent lamp, you exactly know how the spectral distribution will be. If you see a warm light from an LED, you can just say the the bartender, uh, he he found a a good blend of of mixing uh, things to the blue so that you don't become aware of it anymore. But there are also LEDs which definitely emit very tiny amounts of blue light. So depending on the phosphor, you can shift some of the blue energy into longer wavelengths by a phenomenon called fluorescence. This is the same technology which is, has been used by fluorescent lights. LEDs, white LEDs are fluorescent lamps as well. And depending on the specific distribution of, of uh, phosphors and so, you can have a better or worse Uh, fluorescent spectrum. So I I would first measure and then decide. Got it. Um, but cold light is uh, in any case the the last choice I would make. Okay. Okay. Um, it's better to have incandescent lamps and incandescent lamps can be operated on alternating current and they also can be operated on some of them can be operated on direct current. The low voltage, 12 volt, 24 volts, low voltage incandescent lamps can be operated on direct current. And this is the way how you can eliminate flicker and electromagnetic uh, dirty electricity. I was going to ask you about that. So my favorite uh, artificial light would be a halogen lamp. Really? Yes, Wow, twelve volt halogen operated on on a DC transformer, which is ground linked or earthed. Wow, dude! So in your home, are you using mostly halogen lights? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can get is, if if it's twelve volt, can you still get 
enough light out of them? I mean, can you have it well lit if you need to see well, you can. indoors? You can get them with 50 watts. You can get them even with 100 watts. Uh, okay, watt. so the voltage is, oh, right, isn't the wattage. Okay, got it. Got it. Uh, the, the thing is, when, when you, uh, the voltage and the wattage, they are linked in a way that, especially when we are talking about dirty electricity, if you, if you have uh, just, Take easy numbers. Um, for the United States, I would say you have a 120 watt bulb, which is operated on 120 volts. Right. Those are the incandescents I have at home. So then you yeah. need then you need one ampere of uh, electrical power to operate this. Okay. If you take the same wattage, 120 watts. With 12 volts, you would need 10 times the power, which means 10 ampere. And the ampere is directly responsible, responsible for the amount of dirty electricity. So if you are operating uh, a low-voltage halogen lamp on alternating current, you have 10 times more electromagnetic emanation in terms of dirty electricity compared to the high voltage, to the 120 volts type. But as soon as you are using a direct current transformer, you eliminate all the dirty electricity completely. So this is the, the hierarchy, is uh, cold light, the lowest, the last choice, then um, incandescent low voltage on alternating current, then high voltage incandescent on alter alternating current, and then low voltage incandescent on DC. <laughs> That's amazing. Such a way cooler answer than I was expecting. In terms of the voltage, is this why uh, dimmer switches cause so much dirty electricity? I had the dirty electricity the, measured in my house and it was horrific on any walls, the whole wall or any lighting fixtures that were on a dimmer. So I had them all taken out of the whole house. So um, what makes the, the smooth sine wave amplitude dirtier is when you disrupt, disrupt, uh, disrupt it at a certain point. So what a dimmer does is uh, it just, when the amplitude is rising, for example, it shuts down to zero. So it makes a sawtooth out of a, a sine wave. And in music, you would easily be able to discriminate the violin sharp tone from a sawtooth waveform compared to the mellow tone of a sine wave. And when you are using 12-volt direct current incandescence, halogen, um, you can even dim them by changing the voltage. For example, you can operate them on 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 volts. So you have clean dimming without any noises, really? without any dirty electricity. You just need uh, the, the, mm, the, 
best transformer which can do the job but they are existing and this is what I have in my home but now I see why you have a garage full of different incandescent light bulbs it's like, for I was any like, purpose oh. I was like oh he probably has a few different color temperatures that makes sense and it's like oh no this gets very complex whoever's doing my show notes they're gonna have to really you guys listen to me right now you're gonna have to really get this down and send me the formula because my head's kind of spinning right now so Okay, so there's much more to it than the color. And I find it interesting that the halogen lights are recommended. And then we're really looking at the voltage here. So if somebody is, you know, just doesn't have the wherewithal to go figure out all the voltage and stuff, would you recommend people just getting rid of all dimmer switches in their house? Because they're all going to As cause... long as they are standard dimmer switches, yeah. yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, cool. Good to know. Very good to know. Wow. Fascinating information here. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to have to do, honestly, another interview at another point because I didn't even have the opportunity to get into sun. And then your whole other area of expertise with the chromotherapy and color therapy, which is absolutely fascinating. So I don't know, I'm going to follow you around to conferences that are closer than Germany and we're going to do it uh, and we'll cover the sun on the next one. And I've done shows previously about it, but I have a feeling you'll have some surprises for us. And I think... I think we can probably call it a day at that and, and let you get out of here. I know it's been a long weekend for you. I really, really appreciate your, um, you know, the dedication to your work and how you were able to present this stuff in a way that's relatively understandable. I think between me and you, the listener can probably gather that we really want to avoid junk lighting at all costs. And it's not, it's not neurotic and paranoid to have an understanding that this is really bad. Because I get accused sometimes of being too extreme and too hardcore. And it's like, to me, cancer is extreme. Preventing it by going outside a lot and getting natural light and limiting the exposure to junk light and at least changing the temperature of your indoor light is a lot less extreme than ending up in a hospital where they have to chop you apart and fill you full of whatever before they fill you full of formaldehyde later on. So thank you for your dedication and your work and your expertise. I've learned a lot from you today. Uh, I'd like to know who have been three teachers or teachings that you might recommend that our listeners go to to learn more about this topic. So I have a number of, of uh, Vimeo presentations where you have, um, in addition to the spoken word, also some graphs and pictures. And this might make things easier in terms of... Uh, increasing the understanding of the probably complex topic. Cool. So there are, uh, there's a recent presentation uh, where I, for example, analyze also the way the European Union handles the um, banning of the bulb and all the concerns, the health concerns we were talking about today, uh, which is kind of uh, amazing how the official... Uh, um, bodies um, handle these uh, delicate topics. Yeah. And what I recently uh, published a book, Die Kraft des Lichts, but uh, as you can tell from, from the title, it's fully German uh, and is not translated at the moment. Um, yeah, but there are tens of, of presentations which deal all with the topics we were addressing today. So more, of, so more of your work can be found on your Vimeo channel. That's yes. where we can take like a deep and, dive and really geek out. And if you ask me for for um, 
textbooks on photobiology, there are some. Um, one is a book which has been published in the late 1970s from Professor Fritz Holwich. Holwich would the Americans probably say. Um, it's it has been published again uh, in recent years, so it's again available, and I would definitely recommend this. Um, the influence of ocular light perception on man and animal. So this oh, wow. is a very recommendable textbook if you want to dive deeper in, into the endocrine and, and uh, hormonal I'm glad, effects of I'm life. glad that you just mentioned on animals because something I think many people probably don't consider is the effect of junk lighting on their pets. Right, they have yeah. the same biology. Like they've yeah. they've evolved to also not see this insane, weird alien light all night either mm -hmm. at the intensities that we do. So interesting. Uh, a couple other experts or teachers you might be able to point us to. Um, hmm. I could I could maybe um, consider some of the. I could probably give you a list after we ended <laughs> okay. this because okay, <laughs> there's too many. I, I, my brain is uh, getting empty after after the talk and what? after it's only been it's, it's only the been same a, as your batteries do. <laughs> it's only been an hour and fifty one minutes, man. Listen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how about in addition to your Vimeo? Do you want to send us to your website? If you got any links that would be useful for people to come learn? I from will you look and, it up and I will I will provide what, okay. what seems to be reasonable. Cool. All right, we'll put it in the we'll show notes. But to. for now, send everyone to Vimeo to watch your videos and learn more about this stuff. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Luke. Well, it was a great pleasure. Now, I know that was a lot of information and I'm so grateful that Dr. Wunsch was able to come on the podcast and have this uh, talk with me about light. But believe it or not, I still have questions. That's how deep this topic is. Uh, so those of you that are full of information, uh, we'll leave it until next time. Those of you that are ready to uh, keep going, join me this Friday with Nicholas Pinot as we cover COVID-19, 5G, and the EMF crisis. Many people are very confused about the rollout of 5G, what that means, how they're doing it, where they're doing it, why they're doing it, et cetera. That's going to all be cleared up this Friday. But here's what's up. You have to subscribe to the show in order for that to pop up in your feed. Not to mention next week's episode with Jim Quick, where we talk about brain health and how to not freak out in these challenging times. Please make sure to share this episode and every episode you enjoy with as many friends as possible. And again, follow me on Instagram at Luke Story. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsors without whom this and every episode of the Lifestylist podcast would not be possible. Somebody's got to keep the wheels on this thing and our sponsors are the ones that do it. By the way, you can always find all of our sponsors at lukestory.com forward slash store. Not only will you find our sponsors there, you will find exclusive discounts on most items sold in the store. That's lukestory.com forward slash store, where I put just about anything and everything I've ever found and vetted to be useful and beneficial in terms of health and wellness. That's lukestory.com forward slash store. But let's thank our sponsors specifically. Without their help, this episode nor any other would be possible. First, we've got Just Thrive. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke for some great spore-based probiotics. Very cutting edge stuff. They're probiotics that actually work. Imagine that. You're going to save yourself 15% at thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. 
by using the code Luke15. Speaking of light and blue light, I mean, what a perfect episode to promote blue blocks. As a matter of fact, and I shit you not, I'm wearing a pair right now, my yellow ones. Not the, I should be, it's, uh, let me see, it's 10, 17 p.m. So technically, I would be best served to be wearing those dark amber blue blocks, but I need to be able to see the notes that I'm reading on my manuscript as I do these intros and outros. So I'm wearing the yellow blue blocks, no joke. You can find them at blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X. That's blueblocks.com. The code there is LIFESTYLIST, and that saves you 15% off. And uh, you can get prescription glasses over there, readers, all kinds of stuff. These guys are awesome. And uh, I think if you're going to do one thing for your health, you know, aside from the basics of eating right, getting a little exercise, et cetera, man, dealing with the light is just, it's so important. And I'm hoping that after this conversation with Dr. Wunsch, you get how important it is. So go to Blue Blocks and uh, hook yourself up. Speaking of light, oh my God, another one, Juve. Red light therapy, man. Go to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com slash Luke and enter the code Luke at checkout. And they send you some mysterious gift. I still don't know what it is. I've been giving that code out for a year and uh, someone tell me what, what gift did you get? I really don't know what it is. I hope it's good. I've got some upcoming events which are uh, possibly subject to change. We've got Cuixmala, Mexico, the Healing Power of Energy Retreat, June 17th through 24th, Paleo Effects in Austin, July 14th through 16th, Upgrade Labs Conference in Beverly Hills, July 24th through 26th, Meet Delic in LA, August 8th and 9th, and then again, back to London for the Health Optimization Summit, September 12th and 13th, 2020. So I'm praying that these events all go down. To get real-time updates on all these events and any possible changes, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash events. That's lukestory.com forward slash events. And uh, by all means, if you make it to any of these fantastic events at which I will be participating, speaking, recording podcasts, etc., please come up and say hi. It's one of my favorite things to do, uh, actually, at these events is hang out with the listeners. You know, you guys get to know me and my guests. But it's kind of a one-way relationship until we get out in public and meet each other. And uh, I'll even shake your hand. I'll give you a hug. I might even give you a kiss on the cheek if if I really like you because uh, I ain't scared. You know what I mean? I think if anyone's got a strong immune system, it's probably me. Not to get cocky, but man, I work hard at it. So uh, come say what's up. And, uh, you know, if you're paranoid, we'll do a fist bump. We'll have a little chat from six feet away, whatever, however you want to roll point is go to lukestory.com forward slash events to get your tickets go to lukestory.com forward slash store again to find all of our amazing sponsors and tons of other products that i use and recommend and uh with that i will leave you and we'll be back this friday with nicholas pino talking about the covid and 5g situation Uh, i'll get back in your eardrums then and for now thank you so much for listening 